Well, Jason, this past weekend I witnessed a miracle. Yeah? The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl in overtime. You sound so excited. And if you want any more facts about Super Bowl 51, that's all I have. Because I don't really care about the Super Bowl. Do you watch any of the game? I, I did. I sat down and it, you know what? I valued more than the game and the, the commercials that, again, were really subpar. I, I remember in in earlier years, in days of yore, Jason, yeah. the Super Bowl commercials were hilarious and funny, and you talked about them for weeks the, afterwards. The Budweiser one with the frogs, you remember that one? Yep, Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> and then a big alligator comes up and eats every, all the frogs and says, Coors. That's the Simpsons episode. Oh. <laughs> But no, uh, I, I got to sit down with my family and we, we watched the Super Bowl and that was actually really yeah. nice and pretty. it was a pretty chill evening. Lots of snacks were had, but I couldn't eat any of them because I'm like on a paleo diet. So yeah. my wife and I made paleo diet approved snacks, which was fun. Like you, Alex, you don't know very much about football. No. I, did and you, see you, that? you make fun of me about not knowing about animals. I watched Tom Brady cross check a guy and then, <laughs> and then scored in an open net. Uh, yeah <laughs> it was awesome good play good play so i mean you do know like the basics of football right yeah you put the ball into the forky thing and it's the the, the kids call it a pigskin nowadays i'll like, uh, you know how much how many points like a yeah touch, a touchdown's worth a yard yard arm yeah seven <laughs> yard arms to the new england patriots <laughs> so if i were to tell you like um where does the tight end play on defense? Like, can you tell me like where he's at on the field? The tight end. If you stretch it any further, it's gonna rip. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, do you know? <laughs> no, I have no idea. That's <laughs> like it's a trick question because the tight end plays on offense. Like, oh. you, you aren't even fooled by that. Like. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, if you get Stevie Y down there, he's a good defenseman I know, and I, an offensive well, man. I'm kind of with you there because the Red Wings have won two in a row. So. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So, Alex, I mean, we're not big football fans, but no, we're, no, no, we're talking no. about the Super Bowl because every year around the Super Bowl, you get these reports of human trafficking or sex trafficking. Yeah. And they come out, you know, a few days before or afterwards. And that's what we're talking about on the show today. We're talking about sex trafficking. Yeah. Uh, my, my good friend Blake from high school, uh, him and I graduated together. Oh seven. We were the weird Christian kids, uh, my junior year of high school. And we, you know, always talked about Jesus and this and that, but Jake or Blake grew up in the same town that I grew up in. And he ended up going over to a, a little country called Thailand. Yeah. And he spent a year over there, him and his fiance, now wife, Alex, and they are they they basically found out, you know, the ins and outs of what's going on over there, how how bad it is over there. But also they they went over there and, and found a solution. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy is it it's it's getting worse and worse here. And I was actually looking for like articles. Like I was just waiting for him to come out and thankfully like nothing really came out. Like I couldn't find any articles this year. I mean, you just searched one when the Super Bowl was in Miami at 2000, what, 10? Yeah. In 2010, uh, the, it says that 10,000 prostitutes, some of them were in uh sexual servitude or they were sexually trafficked into Miami were brought in 2010 to the Super Bowl to, to be used. Yeah. And, I mean, basically you've got all these uh, rich you know, males coming in partying, yeah, at their at their hotel or, or or whatnot, and they're just in the mood for something a little crazy, something a little different. Mm. And um, unfortunately, this kind of stuff happens. And what happens too is the Super Bowl is held at like a what do you call it? Um, oh. oh, yeah, the Super Bowls it's held at a neutral location, right? So you got people coming in from town, you know, your, your police force is kind of spread thin, you know, they're, they're helping, they're getting everything ready. It's really hard to track down, uh, what's going on in all these kind of, uh, dark places. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, stuff like this creeps in. And it's really bad, Alex. So, I mean, Jess, my wife, and my, and my, my eyes were opened up to this um, years ago when we played in a band and we actually met somebody who is who is involved in, in uh, something of this nature. And it's like, holy cow, this is real and this happens. And you see the way she was treated by her uh, slave owner, I guess, for lack of oh better words. Gosh. But what's even worse is then you see how she's treated afterwards by other males because, well, now she's just a piece of garbage. Oh, my god! And so she gets treated like even more garbage. And it's just, it's absolutely brutal so we we found a foundation like exodus road yeah and there's there's numerous uh like the players project and and other uh human trafficking our sex trafficking um anti-sex trafficking yeah um agencies that you can you can hook up with and, and donate to but we uh had donated this and they sent a book and stuff and it just had all these crazy stats like you wouldn't think this would be a problem here in the u.s but it is. I think I was reading today, like the average sex trafficker, like the slave owner, whatever you want to call them, makes about $32,000 a week. Wow. Yeah. And then you read like statements like this. I mean, so Exodus Road, they go through personal narrative and storytelling to give you a picture of of how brutal this world is. And here they've got this quote from Maria, a 17-year-old girl who was... Uh, got caught up in trafficking. She's a survivor now, but uh, says we work six days a week and 12 hours a day. We mostly had to serve 32 to 35 clients a day. Oh my God. If anyone refused to be with a customer, we were beaten. If we adamantly refused, the pimps would show us a lesson by raping us. I mean, just absolute brutal. And it's, it's widespread. I mean, you can go onto Google right now and you can type in sex trafficking and do the news filter. And it's just local news feed after news feed. I mean, we've had them locally here in Fenton. There was a sex like trafficking ring that was broke up here. And I mean, just do a quick Google search. You'll see news stories pour in from all over the place. It's a huge and, and growing problem. I read on one, set, one site, it's the number two industry behind selling drugs. I mean... It's a real problem, which bothered me when, you know, like the NFL are, uh, was saying, no, it doesn't really happen. It's not a big deal. It does happen. Just because people aren't getting caught doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. You know, they're just doing whatever they can do to cover their own butts. So that just, that breaks my heart. Yeah. So this is why I'm excited that we got to talk to your buddy Blake because after spending a day like researching all these stats, and I really don't need to go through and read them and i like just it's go- just horrible just google them it's horrible um it's it's awful it's depravity at its best and it's it's just awful yeah and a lot of it's so like our is porn driven too yeah that's a whole nother facet we're gonna do a, a porn episode down the road um still working on lining up a guest but your buddy blake um got called overseas uh, as part of this anti-sex trafficking uh, pursuit yeah. to Thailand where they have a, an enormous problem with prostitution yep. and, and things of that nature. And um, he just kind of goes and studies the culture for a year. Yeah. And what he comes away with, like a solution, is, is pretty awesome. So we're yeah. excited to bring this interview to you. This is not your pastor's podcast. All right, everybody, we are here with Blake Kane, also known as Bam Bam Blake Kane. Blake, how'd you get that nickname? Uh, well, I, if you've ever seen me before, I kind of look like Bam Bam. Oh, also, you do uh, a little bit. <laughs> we were, uh, yeah, we were playing Fight Night at one of my buddy's houses, uh, Fight Night 09 specifically. And uh, so we came up with my character, and we had to come up with a nickname for him, and that was the perfect nickname that suited me, and uh, everyone 
cheered and said, yes, that's exactly <laughs> who Blake is. Bam, bam, Blake Kane. So, oh, my uh, gosh. You know, that's been – that's eight years being bam, bam. Has it been eight years now? That's yeah, crazy. It's 2017, man. Oh, wow. Okay, well, it's good. Well, anyway, guys, sorry for going on that rabbit trail, but we are here with Blake Kane, and Blake is a good friend of mine. We actually went to high school together. Blake was that, and I, I know you won't be offended by this, Blake, but you were that weird Christian guy in high school. <laughs> Not and, offended. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh, there's that weird Christian guy, and then something happened my senior year, and I get saved, and now I'm this other weird Christian kid that's hanging out with Blake. So. It, you know, match made in heaven. And then uh, Blake and I were in a band called Dulas, which, yeah. if, if you know you're Greek, uh, <laughs> means slave. And we were basically like, I don't know what kind of genre of music we were. But... We were wood. We were wood, remember? Oh, yeah, because there's rock, there's metal, and we were like, oh, we'll be wood. A different, nice. a different uh, building material. <laughs> yeah, the Jesus rap, octopus mittens, you know, all the good stuff. Yeah, we had a bunch of really weird, crazy songs, but... Something happened not too long ago, and all of a sudden I started hearing all these crazy stories that Bam Bam Blake Kane was going over to Thailand, and he was doing these this amazing stuff, and I want you guys, the listeners, to hear from his own lips his story and how he made it over there to Thailand and how he even dragged his wife to go over there with him. <laughs> but Blake, how did you... How did you get into going and being a missionary to Thailand? And then also I want you to tell everybody what specifically you're doing over there. Because you're not just, I mean, you're obviously a missionary over there, but you're kind of more specific than that. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me. I uh, I always knew that the Lord is going to have me do something at, in the nations. And I, I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to look like. Um, a lot of moves of God in my life have been have come from just people coming alongside me who I didn't really know and all of a sudden saying like, hey, the Lord is speaking to me this over you. And so um, how my wife and I's story kind of intertwined together, we went to high school together and <clears throat> I had a crush on her ever since high school, basically. So a short story, for nine years, basically, I had a crush on my wife and uh, I finally got the courage to tell her after she had come back from her first uh, missions trip training with YWAM and she did a, a DTS um, part of it over in Chiang Mai, Thailand and came back and told me, Hey, so uh, things are going really cool. Uh, I'm going to be a full-time missionary over in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And I was like, cool. Hey, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Hey, I like you too, but we can't do anything. Cause I don't know if you're going to be a missionary yet. And I don't know what God's doing in your life. And I was like, that's totally respectable and honorable. I, I get that. So uh, three months later, I'm playing worship at a woman's conference, as you do as a man. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting down with uh, this main speaker for lunch one day. She's sitting across from me and, and all of a sudden goes, hey, so are you coming to Thailand with me in October? I didn't know this lady very well at all. Didn't uh, It was just completely random. And she goes, yeah, are you coming to Thailand with me? And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, so I really feel like there's this call of, of God on your life to go to Thailand that you need to go, that there's something over there specific for you. Um, she goes, I'm going in October, and I think you need to go with me. And she goes, furthermore, I think you should go for an extended period of time because God has so, something over there for you that you need to go get. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so basically laid out this whole opportunity before me and told me she works with this anti-sex trafficking agency called Nightlight. And uh, she goes, yeah, I'll hook you up with them, and I'm going to get you – uh, like I'll get an internship for you and stuff and you can basically go over there and work over there. Laid up this whole opportunity, not even really knowing her very well. So, um, she just looked at you and said, yep, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Kinda, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of one of those, it was one of those crazy moments in my life where, where God sent someone who I didn't really know who gave a word into my life about uh, the next thing I was going to do. So I took the few next months to pray about it and, and see if this was something I really wanted to do and like if, if it was really from my heart. And so I, I decided, yeah, I was going to go on the trip for the, at least for the two weeks to start. And I wanted to see um, if, this was, if this was something that was legit, if it was real. And on the trip, it was cool, like about a week or so into it, one of the translators who's a Thai woman came up to me and said, we know that you really love us. 
we know that you really care about us and that you love us. Oh, and wow. that was a sign to me that like I could actually really love these people and that they could know it and feel it. So um, I knew I was going back. Wow. That's crazy. Just a just a translator just came up to Blake. You, you sure you didn't get a mistranslation? She said, "You can you'll probably really love visiting us, but then you'll probably go back to the states." You, <laughs> no, you took it full on. Like, man, like you're coming back here, and that's that. You basically that's how God wants you to be. Where He wants you to be right now. So, how long have you? How long have you been married? And how long have you guys been over in Thailand right now? So I, how I ended up in Thailand uh, well, uh, was because of that reason. And then I ended up going back in January of last year to work with the anti-sex trafficking agency. Um, I worked with them for six months. And during that time, Alex and I got engaged last February. Alex so, is his wife, not me. Correct. Yes. Alexandria used to be Beaudry, now is Kane. Beautiful, wonderful woman who I am very blessed to have in my life. So um, I go back to work with this anti-sex trafficking agency, and I go fully immersed into Thai culture. It is intense. I see things I've never seen before. You can ask more questions about that in a little bit. Um, but I go over there for six months, and then my wife and I come – well, my fiancé and I come home at the time. We get married five weeks home in Michigan. Two weeks after we get married, we're back on the mission field together, now in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Wow. And just discovering what God wants us to do. What what has God called us to Thailand to do? And uh, so we, we've been there. She's been there over a year, a little over a year, and I've been there for a little under a year. Wow. And you're just thrown right into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, More that's how I do most of my life. <laughs> nice. So what are some of the things that you've seen in Thailand that may differ from uh, – over here in the states before we get into the the sex trafficking stuff talking about that what are some things that are different for yeah. maybe our listeners who've never i mean abroad? i literally know nothing about thailand yeah so um it's hot all the time <laughs> um very very hot i like to joke that god has a sense of humor and he sent a polar bear to thailand nice um, because, <laughs> yeah just to be honest with you i just sweat a lot over there and um <laughs> yeah it's, it's fun but I, I will be honest like it is a beautiful country with beautiful people um they're very different in that they're very warm cultured people we're not used to that in michigan so like in michigan when you go out to eat with people you'd probably you order your own plate of food and like you only invite the people that you intend to invite well in thailand like if you're going out to eat with someone it's anybody and their brothers invited <laughs> And if you like see them pass them out, like, oh yeah, come eat with me. Are you hungry? Come eat with me. And then if you like, if you have any food before you, it's it's not for you. It's for the whole table. Like anyone can have anything. And they're just very like, that's like just a small demonstration of their culture. They're very warm, like inviting, loving people in the sense that they they want to do everything in community community together, which is really cool. Um, the scenery over there is beautiful. We've got some like amazing mountains over there that just will take your breath away. Um, and culturally, it, it's kind of interesting because you've got the very highest of high, like elite, um, like very wealthy people. And then you've got the, the most poor people I've ever seen in my life. Like not even close to anything I've seen in Michigan. Huh. So it's, it like has every single dynamic um, in it. It's, it's pretty crazy. So, you're over in Thailand. You're looking at all the beautiful, you know, scenery and the people there are very welcoming. But just like any other country in the world, there there is a sinful side to things. Yeah. And so and that's one of the reasons why God brought you there was to work with this anti-sex trafficking or human trafficking. What's the proper term? Human trafficking or sex trafficking? Uh, it's both. Human trafficking can re re like refer to uh, sex trafficking, or uh, it can actually refer to human slavery as well. So okay. you gotcha. want to specifically anti-sex trafficking. Okay. So for those of you who don't, like, this is this is very new to me. I, I think very new to me. So I don't know if, I think everybody sitting down in this interview has probably seen the movie Taken with, uh, with oh, Liam, uh, Neeson. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Have you seen it, <laughs> Yeah, I've seen it. So this, when I saw that movie, that was my first time like ever hearing or seeing like that this kind of stuff goes on in the world today 
Yeah. And it was heartbreaking to me. And it even got more heartbreaking to me when, you know, you watch Facebook and, or you look on Facebook and you see, wow, like there are people that are getting taken and being put into sex slavery or just human servitude in the United States. And you see, you watch videos of men literally like snatching daughters away from their mothers at like grocery stores and just regular places. And that's when it got it got real for me. And yeah. so, so I want I want you to kind of talk about the, the organization that you're a part of, Nightlight, and just go into detail like how can we start eradicating this situation? Well, I want to know what, what it is that you do. What's I mean, what's a typical day look like for you? Well, so um, I'm, I'm no longer with Nightlight. Uh, my wife and I are actually forming a new organization this year that's geared towards family restoration and indirectly um, helping the sex trafficking agency. We'll get into that in a moment, but I, I do want to give you guys some like figures of, of things that actually happen over there. Yeah. So when I lived in Bangkok, um, I lived in a district called Nana, which is basically one of the heaviest trafficked spots in Thailand. Uh, it's pretty intense. There was, just in my small district alone, an estimated 15,000 prostitutes. Um, oh, yeah. I. It was interesting because I had actually never seen a prostitute before in my life, uh, before I went to Thailand, and then I couldn't go a single day without seeing them. You yeah. Know, that's a, Once that you, filter's off, I'm sure you spot it uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird adjustment, and you know, it's even happening like during the day, like these women call out to you, and like it's a it's a really strange strange feeling that women calling out to you. Um, just to give you a picture, there's one night where I lived on the street, and um, I lived pretty close to work, like walking distance to work, so I walk to work every day. Anyways, this one night I come out. Because um, I was hungry, and there was a street vendor that sold chicken, so I went and I, I was getting chicken, <clears throat> and I said, "Yeah, I, I want this and this." And so he starts cooking him. As he's cooking him, this woman comes up beside him and starts talking to him, and I, I feel like they're friends and stuff because they're kind of laughing and joking and whatnot. Anyways, so he ends, we, she ends up walking away, and they um, he bags out my chicken, gets it all done, says that such and such amount of money. And he goes, here, so here's a chicken, and oh, do you want to sleep with her tonight? Like, casually. Yeah. yeah. So basically, like, here, here's your chicken, and uh, do you want do you want her, too, uh, to go with your chicken kind of thing? And, and that sounds humorous, but it's literally, it's so casual in their mindset um, that this is a normal way of life. The statistic is uh, 8 out of 10 men will in Thailand will sleep with prostitutes on a regular basis. 8 out of 10 Thai men. Man. Um, so 80% of their male culture will, you know, involve themselves in prostitution, um, by visiting prostitutes. If you're a young man, like a boy, you'll lose your prostitution about 13 years old. Your father will take you into a brothel and you'll lose your, pro uh, you lose your virginity. Um, so this is like very normal part of their culture. They're just kind of raised with it and probably identified yeah. you as a, a American wealthy man, maybe. <laughs> Right, yeah, and um, yeah, that when they see me, they, they see money, uh, and they see a statistic, you know, like, uh, there's a good chance six out of ten foreign men coming to the country will sleep with prostitutes, and so there's a 60% chance that I'm going to purchase one of them, and uh, not to encourage this, I hope, I hope anybody listening is not encouraged uh, to go into Thailand to do this, but um, you can get a prostitute as low as $15 for a whole night. That's sad. Um, yeah, I mean, I just they—they—they don't understand their value. You know, these women don't know what they're worth. Uh, as horrible as it may sound, even an American prostitute knows that they're worth more than fifteen dollars. You know, yeah. uh, and that sounds weird to say, but there's just this overwhelming presence of not being worth anything as a woman. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It's, it's really sad and it's really interesting. Yeah. And who keeps the money in that situation? I'm sure the, the trafficker or the, the pimp or. Yeah. The pimp. Yeah. Well, so there, it can be a, a couple different, uh, ways. It's either one, the girl will work for a pimp 
or two, she'll work for herself. Um, there is a more safety if she works for a pimp um, because he'll provide protection for her. Um, whereas, you know, if she's to work for a um, work for herself, there's a good chance that the guy will abuse her. Um, who, who's ever like purchasing her will abuse her. He um, might not wear condoms. Um, you know, he'll he might rape her and never pay her. Yeah. You know, there's a lot less protection for that. I've seen women who work in that too, and it's very scary and they're very desperate. Um, and it's really hard for them. Yeah. What what age ranges are we talking here of these these women? Uh, well, it really. I've seen, I've seen personally, uh, anywhere as young as probably like 17, 18 years old, all yeah. the way up to probably forties and fifties. Um, and I, I know for a fact that there is still a child. Um, it's frowned upon, but there are some undercover groups that are still doing that. Um, which is really sad. And then, you know, I, I would be willing to bet that there's a good amount of women who are much older than that still doing that yeah. because they really, if you, if you want to do it, you can kind of do it in Thailand. Um, like whatever your desire is, whatever you want to see, you know, they've got everything from, you know, your normal, I'll say normal sex escapades to your crazy wildest dreams and adventures. Um, so, which is, you know, pretty disturbing, you know, they, they, they go all the way to like to do the BDSM, um, kind of shows and, and like live shows where they actually do this in front of people. Yeah. It's, it's pretty intense. So you say frowned upon Do the, the police or authorities, do they do anything to stop it or is it just part of their culture? So with a with a ch with a child prostitution, the government has cracked down on that. Um, that has been more frowned upon, and so that's why it is harder to find. Um, it, but as far as like regular prostitution, it, prostitution is illegal in Thailand. But there was fifteen thousand prostitutes yeah. where I lived, so kind of gives you a picture. It, I mean, it's kind of hard to hide fifteen thousand prostitutes yeah that's insane it's just like any other other system like there's there's always corruption and i'm sure there's there's just corruption within the uh the the police and that they get paid off or something along yeah. those lines yeah well even in the family unit it's pretty hard to um you know you have you have fathers that will actually sell their daughters off into prostitution i, no, I can't oh, yeah that. that's brutal yeah so um, something they'll sell sometimes for retirement or something as low as, you know, a TV. Man. Um, so sometimes they don't know what they're selling their daughters off into, allegedly, and uh, sometimes they do. Man, so it's probably just like, in, just like over in China where, like, you want to have sons, and if you have daughters, it's just kind of like, well, we can either abort them or we can sell them off, and at least there'll be some sort of like commodity to us that we can make money off of or better ourselves. Well, when you're, when you're a child born into Thai Buddhism, you automatically owe your parents a debt because they made you. And so you are responsible to pay your parents back for making you for the rest of your life. Wow. <laughs> I, I, that is, that's crazy. I can't, I can't even do this right now. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> Thinking about my daughter. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, so it gets real. Yeah, so Blake, what what have you what have what are you and your wife what have you and your wife done over there? What have you guys what are you guys planning to do when you guys go back over there? Because it, I mean, to be quite honest, it just sounds like a very evil place. I mean, you got prostitutes on every street corner. Like I think of Proverbs, uh, was it five five or six, where it talks about the woman that that calls to the young man. And tries to lure him to her to her bed. Like that's what I think of, and I'm like it. It's like a reality over there in Thailand. So what do what are you guys doing when you guys get back over there? Yeah. So the past year we've spent kind of 
not kind of, we, we spent doing basically research and development. Um, I, I do not think it's wise as a missionary to go into a culture immediately and start trying to do work. Um, first and foremost, Jesus didn't even do that. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he learned and knew how to speak to anyone that he was speaking to. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that was that, like, I fully believe that Jesus was always speaking in love. You know, we look at Jesus and how he spoke to um, the Gentiles, and it probably wouldn't be a normal way for us to speak to Gentiles, but it was a way that they understood that was that was spoken to, in love to them. Like, he knew how to speak to them. He knew how to speak to the Jews. He knew how to speak to the Pharisees. And, uh, like, I, they... It looks like chastisement. It looks like Jesus putting them down. But if you look at how the Pharisees spoke to people, it was he was repeating back to them their language, so that they would understand. You know, if, if Jesus would have gone to them and said something in a weak manner or a weak way, they would have just passed him off. Yeah. And said, "You're not worth anything." So I fully believe that Jesus was constantly trying to reach out to whoever he was speaking to, and so it's wisdom. I believe it's wisdom for any missionary who's going over to another culture to just take the first year and just listen, um, learn the language. Um, One of our favorite missionaries, Heidi Baker, says, you have no business preaching the gospel to someone that you can't speak their language. Um, And it makes sense when you you consider things like, um, you know, like English to Thai people mainly is a transactional language. So if I'm trying to preach the gospel to them in a, in a transactional language, you can try and make it sound like, well, well, God gave the great exchange, and that sounds like a great idea and a great plan, but it doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't like equate anything except for funding and for money. And so it's not like you're exchanging their heart for, for something better, you know? Um, and so we wanted to go over there and just learn and hear and hear what God wanted to do for the first year. So we did pretty heavy language learning. I was in school. Alex had a mentor. We, we speak Thai uh, pretty well. I speak like a little child right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's probably the most humbling thing that I've experienced. One of the most humbling things I've experienced so far in my life. Because you go over there and you expect to have adult conversations with people like we're having now. And you end up saying, do you like the color blue? I like the color blue. <laughs> do you like to go to work out? I like to go work out. And you, you, you actually have to make yourself like a child and, and just say it's okay. Otherwise, you're going to give up and you're not going to go through with it. But Jesus tells us to be like children, you know. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really cool. It's just humbling to do that at the same time. So um, anyways – we, went, we were over there for a year, and then we said, okay, God, what are you doing? What are, what are you what are you going to have us do? And so we started noticing all these things, that I, I would, and I told you, and I was working with an anti-sex trafficking agency, and Alex was working with a couple orphanages and with their local church, and more seeing the family side of things, and we just said, man, the family's broken. Like, fathers don't know how to be fathers. Um, mothers don't know that they can be honored and respected as mothers. Um, children don't know that they're valued. There are, are hundreds of thousands of orphans in Thailand. That um, it's a, it's an actual interesting statistic. Eighty percent of the world's orphans aren't actually orphans, but they're kids that were sent off to orphanages by their parents. Um, and specific to Thailand, they're sent off to these orphanages so that they can get a decent education, so that when they graduate, they can go start making money, so they can pay for their parents. Wow. Like I said here um so there's this huge devaluation of the family unit and and what it's worth and what can come of that and so um we looked at it and said well why like if god if god is a good father then why would they see like why would they see like not having a family unit as as a, a good thing or, or like a whole family unit is a good thing and so we actually started looking at how they see god um, and they look at God like king. And God is king God. And so it means like God is very high and lifted up. And then I am low and, you know, not uh, anything. I'm not worth anything. Yeah. Um, and it comes out in their language. So when they pray, they have this, uh, they actually have a separate language called Royal Thai. 
And what that is is, um, so basically there's common tie and then there's royal tie. So um, they say, well, if I speak to my king, we have a king, we have a monarchy over in Thailand. If I speak to my king in this language, why would I speak to a god in any less of a language? Yeah. So that sounds great in theory because they're like, man, that's cool because they're, they're like highly exalting god. They've got this amazing holy reverence, which is good. You know, they've got a holy, amazing reverence for God with a fear of God in their hearts. And you see that coming out. But when they pray, the word they use for I in royal tie is the same as the slave would use towards his master. So that that creates some intimacy issues. When you say, I am a child of God, you're literally saying, I, the slave, am a child of God. Hmm. And which we... I mean, you guys know the song No Longer Slaves, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so when you're singing No Longer Slaves, it's literally, I, the slave, am no longer a slave to fear, but I, the slave, am a slave child to God. That's a mouthful, man. Yeah. Um, and just full of a lot of deep hurt, you know? Um, can you imagine being a slave to your dad? Uh, you probably wouldn't feel that great and that warm towards him. Um so anyways, we looked at all this and we said, man, so it's great that they see God as king, but they're not really seeing this father image and it's coming through in the way that they demonstrate family and the family unit is broken. And because of this family unit being broken, they've got all these issues like sex trafficking and drug abuse and alcohol abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse and um, like all these crazy weird things that you've probably never heard of in your life. And I, I'm telling you, I've heard, I've heard of some weird stuff now and your, your heart just breaks and you said, well, it's, they don't see God as, 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 as daddy. They don't see God as father and they don't see, um, they're not seeing themselves as a whole family. And so we we feel called to restore this family unit. And so what we're doing is we're actually opening up a new, uh, organization this year. It's going to be called the home of hope transformation center. We're so excited about this, man. Um, we believe that God is going to do massive, wonderful things through this. So it, there's a few different parts to the organization. Um, we want to focus on a few, three different parts of transformation. The first part is going to be worship transformation. And what we're doing is um, our first thing was, we're, we're going to focus on is doing community worship nights. And why is this important? So the way we're going to do this is we, we want to bring different community bodies together, like different church bodies together into a non-bipartisan place so they don't have to worry about, like, is someone else going to go to someone else's church or whatnot. We just want to bring them into a, into, a, into a central location and bring them into a living room family-style kind of worship unit where we can worship together as a family and just begin to demonstrate this culture of family. Like, what does is, what is worshiping as a family look like together? You know, and when we're in this room, no one's better than than the other. We're just all, all family. We've got fathers, we've got mothers, we've got children, we've got brothers and sisters, and we're just all going to pursue a daddy God. And so we want to encourage this environment and start to use language that could be possibly a little bit offensive. You know, when they call God Father in, in royal tides, prabida, which means high royal father. But we want to say. Well, what does it look like to use that with common tie, like calling God Pa? Yeah. Something as simple as that draws it in more intimate, makes it makes it more personal. And what's going to be interesting is that they might fight that a little bit because of their demonstration of what a common father looks like in Thailand. But yeah. we think it's really good. So we're going to start with these community worship nights. And as we begin to demonstrate like the love of the father, um, like an intimate, close, good love that they can feel safe in, and when they start asking questions about it, um, like saying, well, what is, what's different about why, why do you guys do this differently? Like, we worship too, but it's different. Uh, what do you guys have? And we're going to say, come to our school of worship. We're actually going to be starting up a school of worship in Thailand. We're super excited about it. It's going to be a heavy emphasis on you know, common things with like music theory, how to lead, uh, musicality, different instrumentation, all that kind of stuff. We want to do a heavy teaching on experiencing God. Um, and just experiencing God in different facets. Like, what does it look like to experience God as king? What does it look like to experience God as father? What does it look like to experience God as husband? You know, every every title that God gives himself in the Bible is permission for us to explore that relationship with him. And I believe that 
um, when God declares that, that it's like it's like a lens coming down. Like I could like when the lens of Father comes down, I could explore that forever in front of my eyes and and just keep walking in that, and I'll never find the end of of a good good Father. Yeah, you know, always gonna learn stuff about a good Father God. So we just want to open up kind of this avenue of freedom in our worship school where they can start to explore different avenues of who God is. We believe that as we start teaching about the good, good fathers, good, good husband and different things that they're going to actually catch on to this and say, well, if God's a good father and they say, you know, Jesus tells me to be like him, well, then I need to be a good father. Yeah. I need to pattern my life to be like Jesus. I need to, you know, pattern my life to be like a good husband and a good dad to my kids. And so we just believe that there's going to be a, a massive, like, repentance in heart to to go be like this in the nations. And then, well, in, in the nation of Thailand specifically. And then so what we want to do is as we're, like, like creating this environment of freedom where they can, they can talk to God and just find out different facets of God, that we're going to start pushing them to, like, hey, well, let's write some songs about, like, who God is now. Like how you see God and start writing worship songs that are specific to Thailand um, that God is speaking to them. And as they're writing the songs, we're actually going to open up a recording studio that they can like record these songs in. And then we can start pushing these songs into Thailand, sending them over to different churches and saying, hey, this is what the body of Christ is seeing in Thailand right now. That God is a good father. He's a good husband. And we're going to be like him, too, because he's our dad. And what good child doesn't want to be like their dad? And so... That's the that's worship transformation. Second uh, part of transformation is going to be personal transformation. And what we want to do is we're going to open what's called Sozo Ministry. I'll explain that in a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. So when um, in in Thailand they have they operate on what's called uh, honor shame culture. And what happens is because they're operating out of this honor shame culture, they um, they won't like talk about things that have happened to them. Um, so if you're like a little girl and you get abused, it would be dishonorable for you to go say anything. You can get dishonored by your parents. You dishonor your family yeah. and like you dishonor the, the guy who did this to you or whatnot. So they end up carrying these burdens, not able to say anything because they don't want to dishonor themselves or anyone else. Well, through Sozo ministry, what it is, it's an inner healing prayer ministry where people get delivered of like past hurts and past pains and the lies that they believe about themselves and God replaces it with truth. And so I've gone through many Sozo uh, um, sessions myself and I've got healed and delivered of a lot of things and it's brought me so much restoration in my life. And so we want to do the same thing for them where we can um, like offer them a safe place where they can come. No one knows why they're coming to our center. They just, we, they just know that they're coming to us and we can offer this really safe ministry where they can get delivered of all these past hurts and past issues, burdens that they're carrying around like 500 pound weights on their back that they don't deserve to carry around anymore because Jesus paid for that and he loves them too much for them to carry that around. And so we're really pumped about that. And the next part of transformation after that is going to be uh, the community transformation. What we're going to be doing, this is really cool. We're very excited about it. Um, a lot of girls who end up getting out of these orphanages, um, they don't really have a whole lot to do. As we talked about earlier, like they're not really looked upon very fondly. Um, you know, they're dishonored already because they're a woman, and so <clears throat> they're expected to go make money. <clears throat> excuse me. Already after they get out of this um, orphanage, and so what we want to do is we're going to provide basically a like kind of like a halfway home, if you will, um, where we rent this house. And we have like three or four girls stay in this home. They all get their own rooms. They all get their own places. We just have a couple house parents that live there. And we just start to teach them what does it look like to function in society. You know, we've got girls that at this one orphanage, they live with like 80 to 100 other girls. Wow. I mean, sharing a room with 100 other girls, sharing clothes, they're sharing everything. Every moment of every every day is like told what they're going to do. And, um, you know, they, they have an hour of cell phone time a day. Like they're really regimented. What happens when you release that into, you know, a, a culture and like you've got all this massive amount of freedom and you've never had to make a choice in your life. Yeah. All of a sudden someone more powerful comes by and says, hey, 
well, you're going to be my girlfriend or you're going to be my, my, my prostitute or you're going to do this or you're going to work in this really bad factory or something like that. And um, so we said, no, we, this is not cool. So we want to provide this house where they can come and start to transition out of just being a kid and start transitioning into normal life. We can help them get through college. Um, a lot of kids actually don't know how to apply for student loans. We want to help them apply for student loans and um, like just bring them into the, this like this freedom, even a freedom to choose Jesus. As odd as that sounds, you know, a lot of these Christian orphanages, it's great. They, they, they push Jesus on these kids like hardcore, but they don't have any freedom to choose Jesus. So what happens when you're pushed into a religion? Yeah. You know, you, you feel this like resistance and then what like you you don't necessarily feel called to stick with that afterwards. So we want to just provide this freedom for them to choose Jesus and get to really find out who he is and how wonderful, and how lovely God really is. Yeah, that's what I like about what you're doing, what you're explaining, because you're creating that space and you're hoping for heart change, but you're hoping they come to that realization on their own through their own experiences with God. And you're exactly. creating that, and that's that's pretty powerful. Much much better than like you said, just forcing it. Yeah, you're going to believe in Jesus now. Right. <laughs> I just a little rabbit trail here, but what is the response over in Thailand to Christianity? Because I know you said that that's there's a lot of Buddhism over there, but what is their response to Christianity? Is it is it hostile towards Christians over there? No, the interesting thing is it's a completely open country. Uh, you can go on the street and open air preach. The gospel's been in Thailand for 150 years, but it's less than 1% Christian. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's it, like something's missing. Something's not happening. Something's not clicking. And we feel like it's it's really that family unit that's not there. You know, like that's something that's not demonstrated very strongly. So like what happens when God comes and, and just, you know, explodes over their family? And blesses it, and all of a sudden you have strong families. People are going to see it and they say, whoa, I've never seen anything like that before. What do you have that I don't? I need to have that. Right. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, I just, I'm, I can't get over the fact that the children born over there are, are more or less, they're like born in a debt, you know, and they don't even have a chance to repay or anything. It just, yeah. it's going to happen over a lifetime. So the the parent already has so many selfish expectations of their child. It's like this child owes me. And, and that's just, that's so brutal. Yeah. Yep. I mean, mean, it's a, it's, here's the thing is it sounds brutal from our point of view, but it's what they grew up in their whole life. Yeah, I know it. You know, that's what they know. And so you're, we're kind of coming against that. Not kind of. We we're coming against that in a way. We want to say no. There's there's value for you. Yeah. You know, I, I have a kid. He's he's dear to my heart. Uh, he's one of our kids in, in one of the orphanages. His name is Hope, and it's like he doesn't even know what his name means, mm. but he's worth it. And it's funny, you know. You uh, every once in a while we'll get to like talk to one of these kids and just say, hey, you know that you're special, right? And, and to hope, I got to say this, I was like, you know that you're special. And it was as if he had, he had a hard time receiving that. Yeah. You know, a hard time thinking that he was special, that he was worth anything. And it was kind of heartbreaking, but, you know, through time, he'll know. Through time and, and spending, you know, just discipleship and just loving him and, and creating that family environment around him where he's saying, hey, you can be family with us. Like, we'll, we'll take you in. You can be our family. And, uh, we believe that he's going to know what his his name actually means. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, how can people can people reach you? Can they donate? Or do you have website or anything? Or yeah, um, so uh, we have we've got a giving website. We're actually we got all new branding, as in the like for the past two weeks. Like I said, we're called Home of Hope, um, which we think is really appropriate for everything we're doing. Yeah, I I want to I want to say this. We've talked a lot about a lot of the problems of Thailand and stuff, and it it would seem like a country full of sin. It would seem like a country that's lost or anything. But I, I tell you this: God loves them, and mm-hmm. that means more more than any sin could ever mean over there. I, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what things are nicknamed. I don't, I don't care like anything that they've done. God loves them, and they are worth it. And even though it's less than 1% Christianity, that just means there's a 99% harvest 
to be had in Thailand. And God desires that with them. So we're called Home of Hope, and we, that's what we're going to be. Um, and so I can send you guys our information that you guys can get hooked up with. I'll send you our website, and I'll send you our giving website too if you guys want to post it with your link. Yeah. Um, anybody that wants to partner with us, we have a campaign that we just started called the uh, 10 for 100. We're looking for 100 people to donate $10 a month. Uh, you would not believe what $10 a month could do over in Thailand. Yeah. So um, we just want to make it really tangible for people to be able to give and say, yeah, I can partner with that. Dude, what an incredible journey. I mean, you go over there as part of the sex trafficking thing, but over the past year, you've you've really absorbed the culture, and now you, you're you creating this uh, culture for the family, you know? I, I think that's awesome. I mean... Yeah. Well, God is good. <laughs> yeah, like I... I, I Really hope that down the road we can keep checking back in with you and see, and see how everything's going, you know? Yeah, maybe next time we'll be in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that going to be 10 years down the road, though, Blake? Uh, well, we're planning on visiting home every year. Uh, we, <laughs> we as missionaries believe that healthy missionaries see their families. I'm not speaking that over any other missionaries, whatever their culture is, whatever their belief is, that's fine. But in, in our family... We believe that we're going to be healthy, and to be healthy it means we see our families and we see our friends at least once a year, probably for about a month or so. So cool. next time we come home, hopefully I'll be able to catch you guys in person. Yeah, man, that'll be super awesome. So, yeah, well, uh, Jason, you got anything else for Blake before we, we peace out? No, man, I'm all set. All right, cool, man. Well, Blake, you – or Blake, you – hold on. And scene. Blake, thank you so much for for talking with us and giving us a little bit of your time, man, to talk about what uh, what's going on over in Thailand. And uh, we'll definitely be praying for you and the listeners out there. If this is something that you care about, uh, we'll make sure to put the the links in the show description below where you can help support Blake and his wife. Uh, basically, kind of help rebuild families over there because we know like God loves families and He calls us to be a family and. The family over yeah. there, I mean, even just like over here, the family is broken. And when that happens, that's when when the, the most preventable sins are allowed to, to flourish and take place. Yeah. If I, if I can say one more thing, too, yeah. I just want to encourage people who are listening. Um, I'm a small town boy from Lapeer, which is a, a little town. Oh, they of, know about Lapeer. I told them all about it, Blake. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm a little small uh, just kid from Thailand. I'm from Lapeer, and uh, there's no reason why I should be able to get to do this stuff. Um, there's no special thing about me that sets me apart from everybody else. I'm, I'm just like everyone else, and all I had to do was just say yes to God. And uh, saying yes to God is one of the most powerful things you can do in your life. Um, it, it'll take you down some really crazy roads. I can tell you I've done a lot of weird, crazy things that uh, probably most people wouldn't do and I'm not saying that from a pride standpoint I'm just saying people probably wouldn't do but all I did was say yes and I don't regret my journey at all I love where I'm, I'm at and um, I'm so excited about what's to come so just say yes to God and believe that God has a vision and dream for your life that's awesome advice man cool man thank you so much thanks Blake we'll talk to you later man alright we'll keep in touch alright God bless see you buddy bye bye Dude, Alex, your buddy Blake is a pretty rad dude. I'm friends with a lot of really rad people. And Blake and I have been friends since, man, I want to say it was like my junior, senior year of high school. And yeah, like when I heard, he was doing a bunch of worship music stuff and he's a fabulous musician. Like he knows guitar theory like it's going out of style, man. It's, he's like, he's like a Mozart. I was kind of picking that up from him as he was talking. But like. Yeah, so him and I, like I said, we used to play in this band together, and like he would be like, "Yeah, that that doesn't go within music theory what you're playing." I'm like, "Oh, sorry, oh. let me change it real quick." But now he's this missionary over in Thailand, and it's just crazy that another Lapeer civilian has just gone over to be a light for the gospel in a different place or part of the world. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, the last thing that he said uh, is really inspiring. Like. I'm just being obedient. Like, yeah, God said to go and I just went and yeah. awesome stuff is happening. And man, I just, I wish I had that boldness, you know? I know. I feel like so many times, like, especially for me, like I didn't move to Flint 
uh, I wouldn't have moved to Flint, I should say, unless I really felt like God told me to go. Like I don't, I didn't have that instinct to just go. Like yeah. I had to wait for God to say, you can go. And then I went and I don't know, there's just something extremely faithful about just going and just, yeah. and just trusting God. And then you, yeah. you, you go. Yeah, I mean, that sounds completely, like, foreign and, you know, two senses of word. Like, you're going to a foreign country, and you're going into sex trafficking. Like, that's... Yeah. You know, those were the original Well, to details. fight sex trafficking. Yeah, to, yeah. Yeah, to fight. Yeah, good. <laughs> good nice clarification. Thank, thank you. But, you know, you're going in with those two details, and it's just like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what this is about, God. Like... That's pretty insane. What did you think of the interview? What did you I think mean, of what he had to say? I was pretty impressed with the interview, to be quite honest. And just to hear his explanation of how we're going to er- eradicate this problem. I mean, I really thought that Blake was just going to tell us a bunch of statistics, and he did, about human trafficking, sex trafficking. And instead of just, you know, basically creating like this pity party atmosphere of just like, this is what I'm doing over in Thailand. It's such a bad problem. Pray for us. He's like, we actually, my wife and I have a plan of how we're going to do it's this. It's very proactive. It's very proactive and it's very, very simple. We're yeah. Gonna, I know it sounds so, so cheesy because there's that Christian radio station, like program focus on the family yeah. over here in the U S and it's, it's cheesy as all yeah. get out. I'm sorry to say if anybody's a fan of that show, but it is kind of cheesy, but like, it's important over there to just basically say, like, every member of this family has value, whether you're Christian or not. Like, and I think that was really cool that Blake said that, like, obviously, we want to share the gospel with people. We want people to see, you know, changed for Jesus and, and come to the knowledge of him. But at the same time, it's not like they're going to turn anybody away who doesn't do that. Yeah. And so they just want to restore families and that's how he said like that's how we're going to help fight this problem over there of just sex of just abuse to children of just the orphan the orphan's problem prostitution all this stuff we're going to eradicate that by loving people and showing them what a family looks like and how god is a father yeah to me that's that's pretty incredible i i love that they're not just uh, spouting information and, and forcing Jesus upon people. Instead, they're creating an, envi- an environment where people can realize for themselves that they are valued by God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're not forcing heart change on people. You can't force heart change on people, but they're creating that space where they can have those those moments with God that change hearts. I yeah. Mean, to me, that's that's pretty powerful stuff. That is pretty incredible. Was there any one thing that stuck out to you during this interview? I'm pretty sure I just said it. Oh. <laughs> like, to me, that's that's the big takeaway is it just seems like sex trafficking, prostitution is this huge, daunting problem. Or, you know, why would God allow it to happen? How can we ever fix it? Oh, just love thy neighbor. Wow. What I know a revolutionary it. concept. Yeah. Who said that? Just just trust God, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, so powerful. It's so ridiculously simple. Oh man. And just just go when God says go and just love people. It's so simple, Jason, people should probably do that. You know what's even simpler? <laughs> That's the worst transition. <laughs> no, it's not. What's simpler than loving your neighbor? Going on Facebook and giving us a like. Yeah. Going on Twitter and following us. Clicking on Instagram and saying, you know what? I'm going to follow these fools. Yeah. Going on iTunes and leaving a five star review. It's so simple. <laughs> But what I guess actually what Jason and I would rather have you do is love your neighbor. Like, please go love your neighbor. And then if you have some extra time, then go like our social media. We could really give a rip if you like us or not. But if you love your neighbor, like that just that warms our heart. But you got anything to close, Jason? Um, We got any five star reviews this week? Oh, yeah, we got some. We got one five star review. It's from God's Ghetto Street Cop. Nice. (laughs) And he says, just gets better and better. 
Somehow I enjoy each episode more than the last. I have been blessed and encouraged by each interview and experience shared. Keep up the good work, guys. Wow. Thanks, God's ghetto street cop. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's all good in the hood over here in Flint. <laughs> oh, man. I used to say that all the time in meetings uh, yeah. when people were like, How are, how's Flint going? I'm like, it's all good in the hood. Yeah. And I remember we, we used to go to the the, uh, the county jail here, and you and I would take turns preaching. <laughs> and you would, dude, you definitely change like the way you speak. <laughs> Like your wife, like Shauna picked up on it first. It was like, why do you keep saying beef? Like that was your big thing. Oh, like, really? I beef I, with this? Or like I that. don't remember. Like, what is? What are you doing? Man. Anyway, like they obviously knew you were from Metamora. Like, nope, he's never spent any time in the hood. Yeah, but <laughs> a thousand people gave their life to Jesus after I preached. No, they so. didn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. We hope you really enjoyed this interview with Blake. Uh, again, uh, $10. They're looking for 100 people to donate $10 a month, and I think that's that's not too crazy. So uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And Jason, what do you want to tell everybody before we sign out? Always keep your stick on the ice. That's right, fools. <laughs>